Today's reading is from the first letter of Paul to the Corinthians, chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. Well, as you're being seated, let's, um, let's pray together. Father, we thank you uh, for Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. We thank you now, Lord, after some time away, uh, we can once again re-engage uh, with the word you spoke through your servant Paul uh, to this church experiencing division and heartache and rivalry and dissension. Lord, we need you. We need you uh, to work and move amongst your church. Unify us by your spirit so that Christ may be glorified, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we're back in 1 Corinthians. We're back in 1 Corinthians. Uh, We began this series this time last year, and we'll end, Lord willing, uh, before summer 2023. And so we're almost there. You're doing a great job thus far. Uh, Where we last left off in 1 Corinthians, Paul was dealing with a number of issues dividing the church, right? That, That phrase, now concerning, has come up a few times. Now concerning this, now concerning this. Relationships, right? Sacrificing to idols, uh, the church is divided and experiencing uh, fractures, d- divisions. Uh, it's not this, this glamorous existence that we sometimes think of or maybe uh, experience in church. It's a, a fractured body. And as we come to chapter 12, maybe you picked up on it. There's only three verses, so I hope you picked up on it. Paul turns his attention now to the topic of spiritual gifts. He says in verse 1, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers... I do not want you to be uninformed. Spiritual gifts might be the most contentious topic uh, in the church. Some of you are nodding your head. You know this. You've experienced this. Others of you are, are perhaps not informed about how contentious this can be. But whether it's first century Corinth or 21st century Vancouver, a few things evoke an impassioned response, like talking about spiritual gifts. And as an aside, if you're new or visiting and you're like, I don't know what a spiritual gift is, we're so glad you're here. We're so glad you're here. These next few weeks, in fact, these next few months, we're going to take some time to build out a biblical framework of spiritual gifts, what they are, how they're used, right? What Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. But for many of us, many of us, we've been talking about spiritual gifts for years. And so we have opinions, right? You might believe spiritual gifts to be of vital importance, the church ignoring them at her peril. You you might believe spiritual gifts to be of little importance, the concern of only, you say, three chapters in the New Testament, and so who cares? Or, Or maybe you believe spiritual gifts to be dangerous, right? The gateway to chaos, weird things that make you feel uncomfortable. In some cases, used in real spiritual abuse. As a staff this summer, we spent time just reading and rereading and reading again 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 and just studying it 
Just working through it slowly every single day. Slowly but surely working through it. And before we began that conversation as a staff in, in the three neighborhood churches, so in South Vancouver, Kitsland, and East Vancouver, I asked the whole group of, of preachers and teachers and church leaders, what has your experience been with spiritual gifts? I said, what's your experience been? And the responses I got were interesting to say the least. One person told of a story of feeling ashamed that they could not speak in tongues like their friends did. So they felt shame. Another witnessed the gifts being used manipulatively by church leaders. Another grew up in a different cultural context altogether, where the gifts were, yes, practiced, but less sensationalized and balanced with good teaching and had a great view of the gifts. Still another, one person, even broke up with his now-wife, then-girlfriend over the use of spiritual gifts. And that's just our staff's team experience. These are people who are supposed to have a handle on spiritual gifts, and yet we all come to this topic with baggage, with real hurt, or real excitement, or real confusion. And so what I want to do, we're going to move very, very slowly. Maybe too slow for you, but I'm not apologizing for that. We're going to move very, very slowly through 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, and just understand what are spiritual gifts, what is their role in, in the church? And, and why is Paul so concerned that we understand them, that we're informed about them? To do that this morning, I want to give us three pillars. Three pillars that we should repeatedly go back to in our time in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 to help frame our conversation, to help frame our thinking. First is this. God is gracious. God is gracious. That's our first pillar. Second, the Spirit leads. The Spirit leads. And then third, Jesus is Lord. God is gracious, the Spirit leads, and Jesus is Lord. We're going to look at these over and over and over again through our time in this series. So if you have your Bibles open, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1, Paul writes there, God is gracious, he says, now concerning spiritual gifts. You're like, wow, he really is going slowly through this. Now concerning spiritual gifts, four words. Let's start there. This word for spiritual gifts that we find in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1, is this Greek word, pneumaticon. You don't have to remember that, but it's this Greek word, pneumaticon. It can mean spiritual people or spiritual things, but I think given the context, it's rightly translated here, spiritual gifts. But what we should see is that while Paul uses this word pneumaticon here, it's worth noting that the rest of the time in 1 Corinthians 12, in the remaining, I think, six occurrences, Paul will not use this word pneumaticon to describe spiritual gifts, but this other word, and it might sound familiar, charismata. Charismata, or charisma. And charismata can be defined as gifts, or a gift freely given without merit or strings attached. Freely given, without merit, and without strings. Charismata are, are grace gifts. Let's stop here. Four words into 1 Corinthians 12. Let's, let's stop here. What we need to hear at the beginning of our time, focused on spiritual gifting, focused on spiritual power, is that your gifts, our gifts, 
the church's gifts are not earned, are not given on the basis of status or reputation, nor are they truly yours to possess. They are grace gifts. Grace gifts bestowed upon you by a generous God who, as we'll see next week in verse 11, sovereignly apportions to each, gives to each as he wills, as he sees fit. And what's more, but by classifying spiritual gifts as these charismata, we're forced to consider how this word is used throughout the New Testament. And when we do that, when we trace this word throughout the New Testament, we learn that all of life is a grace gift. That what we're talking about over these next few weeks, over these next few months, is not actually that different than the rest of our life. Let me show you. In Romans 5, verses 15 to 16, Christ's substitutionary death in our place is referred to as a charisma, a gracious gift. In Romans 11, verse 29, God choosing Israel among the nations is referred to as a gift, a charismata. In 2 Corinthians verse one, chapter 1, verse 11, charisma is used in reference to the gracious favor granted to Paul in response to the prayers of many. In 1 Corinthians 7, marriage is a charisma. Singleness, a charisma. Both grace gifts from God. It turns out Christ City... Our God, from Old Testament to New Testament, is a God of gracious generosity, gracious gift-giving. And from the moment he sent his son Jesus to die for you, to the relationships he has given you, to the gifts he now gives by his Spirit to the church, it is all grace. It's all grace. It's all grace. Every Christian, therefore, not just exuberant ones, is a charismatic. Every Christian, by definition, is a charismatic, a recipient of the grace gifts of God in Christ Jesus. I think there are a number of implications for our time in these three chapters from the simple truth. The first is this. Our first response each week as we talk through the gifts and define the gifts and talk about their use in the church, our first response each week should not be, oh, I wonder which gifts I have. I mean, that's a fine response. It's a fair response. But our first response each week should be a response of worship, of worship. God, who is generous, who is gracious, has given us these gifts. We should worship church. We should respond in praise, church. We should not ho-hum, oh, that's interesting. No, worship should be our response. God is not stingy. He has not left the church to her own devices and schemes. He has not forgotten about us. No. What does Jesus say in John 16, verse 7? What does he say? Do you know? He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. He says, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And all his accompanying gifts. See, spiritual gifts are not God out there sending something to us down here. 
right? Like a package we receive in the mail. No, no, pastor and author Sam Storms, he writes this. Spiritual gifts are nothing less than God himself in us, energizing our souls, imparting revelation to our minds, infusing power in our wills, and working his sovereign and gracious purposes through us. That's the first implication. Our first response each week should be, wow, what kind of God is this who gives gifts, who gives so generously to us? Second is this, the God who graciously gives us gifts is gracious to us in our imperfect use of the gifts. The God who graciously gives us gifts is gracious to us in our imperfect use of the gifts. When Paul is writing to a young pastor, Timothy, he exhorts him in 1 Timothy 4. He says, Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Gifts can be neglected. Gifts are to be practiced. People are to see progress in your gifting. And if neglected, gifts can go dormant. Writing to Timothy elsewhere, Paul says this, 2 Timothy 1, For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame, literally kindle up, kindle again, fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. See, because our perfect God has chosen to use imperfect people, gifts will be imperfectly used until the perfect God comes. And when he comes, gifts will stop because we'll have everything. We won't need them anymore. I hope, and this is just how I was praying for us as a church this week, I hope that when you see how gracious our God is, both in giving us gifts and in our fumbling of gifts, that that gives you the confidence you need in the coming weeks and months to step out in faith as you rekindle the spiritual gifts God has given you. I know that for some of you, God has given you real spiritual gifts. He's given you them. And for whatever reason, those gifts have laid dormant, neglected, like, like, like embers sort of barely burning. My prayers over these next coming weeks, the Lord would, would, would see those embers turn into a raging fire in our church. That those gifts would be used for the glory of Christ. That's what I'm praying for. Third implication. God is gracious, gracious and patient with us. And we can be gracious and patient with one another. God is gracious and patient with us. We can be gracious and patient with one another. Spiritual gifts are very important. We'll see that in a bit. They're, they're very, very important. But within the global church family... There are a variety of understandings and definitions surrounding the gifts. Friends, we have brothers and sisters in Christ who we will spend eternity with who will disagree with us about the gifts and how we understand the gifts. So, if our posture as a church ever becomes, we're truly spiritual. We're truly spiritual because we've got this gift thing figured out 
Well, then we've missed the point. I've missed the point. You've missed the point. Worse, we're guilty of doing exactly what the church in Corinth did, in creating the spirituals and everybody else. So at me, at the beginning of this series, put our cards on the table. As a church, we hold to a position called continuationism. Continuationism. That's your $10,000 word for this morning. And it just means this. We believe that all the spiritual gifts, including healings, tongues, the interpretation of tongues, prophecy, miracles, are still available and in use in the church today. Now, some of you are freaking out. Don't worry, we're going to define these words. We're going to clarify how they're used rightly and orderly in the church. But for now, it's enough to say that we believe that the gifts have continued from the day of Pentecost to our modern day. That's what we believe as a church. And our commitment to you as elders is not only to show you from Scripture how we get to these positions or this position and how we understand the outworking of the gifts, but to speak in such a way that we are never misrepresenting those who disagree with us. That's our commitment to you. Further, that if you were to hold a different position on the gifts, that you would still feel this morning loved and welcomed and cherished as part of this church family. Our first pillar, where we have to go again and again and again for the next little while, as we look at spiritual gifts, is that God is gracious. Spiritual gifts are gracious manifestations of God's Spirit in our midst to be exercised and practiced and grown into in God's community of grace. That's our first pillar. Second pillar is this. The Spirit leads. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, Paul says, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. This phrase, I think it's on the screen still, I do not want you to be uninformed, it is patented Paul speak. In fact, when Paul uses this phrase, when he employs this phrase, he's saying that what I'm talking about is not peripheral or secondary or, you know, you can kind of ignore it and then I'll get to the important stuff later. No, he's saying this is an important thing. This is a matter of central or core doctrine. Spiritual gifts to Paul are really, really important. So, for example, it's the same language that Paul uses when he warns Corinth against idolatry in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. It's the same language he uses when he reminds the Romans that the gospel is for all people. It's that important. It's the same language when he encourages the Thessalonians with the hope of eternal life, of resurrection life. I do not want you to be uninformed. Should be assigned to us, we should sit up straight in our seats. We should pay attention. This is important. This is central. Okay, Paul, we hear you. You've got our attention. What do you want to say to us? And the first thing he says is he asks them to, to look back, to look back on how they used to live. Verse 2 says, You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Why would Paul do this? Is he just rubbing it in their face? Remember when you were like dumb pagans and you followed dumb idols? That was funny. Like, I can't believe you did that. What, what, why is Paul doing this? 
I think Paul wants to, at the outset, contrast with how they were once led to how they're being led now. Paul wants them to see, you were once led this way, and now you're going to be led this way. See, it's true that all of us are being led. When we're little, that leading is very clear. We have a little uh, two-year-old guy. His leading is very physical, very tangible, very seen. But we take his hand and lead him and guide him. His mom takes his hand and leads him and, and guides him. As we get older, we begin to be led by unseen things. We're led by our vision of the good life. Or we're led by a charismatic leader or a charismatic group. Or we're led by certain ideological principles. All people are being led. All of them. All of us. And for the Corinthians, indeed all people outside of Christ, Paul says your idolatry, your functional worship of something other than God has led you astray. Now, there's a beautiful picture of this. I guess not beautiful is the wrong word. Proverbs 9 helps illustrate what Paul is saying. In Proverbs 9, there's a story of two women. One, the woman wisdom, who calls out to her listeners, to her hearers, about the way of life. And these people find themselves in a place of flourishing, knowing God, knowing his precepts, enjoying him. But there's another woman in Proverbs 9. It's the woman folly. And the woman folly, while promising what is sweet and pleasant, leads her listeners, her group, to a banquet in the grave, to Sheol, to the grave itself. Idolatry, foolishness, this is not to lead the Christian. This is not how we are to walk. The spirit Paul wants us to see is to lead us now. And I want to again linger here for a moment. We're going to talk a lot about the Holy Spirit in the coming weeks. And as I was writing this sermon, very providentially, Christianity Today came out with an article entitled, Top Five Heresies Among American Evangelicals. And so obviously I clicked on it. That was just the kind of thing I go for, right? Top five heresies? Yes, please. And to say I was shocked was an understatement. Even if one takes into account that evangelical is a broad word, right? A contested word that probably encompasses some nominal believers, the stats were shocking. One of the five heresies or false teachings concerned the Holy Spirit. And the article read like this. 60% of the evangelical survey respondents, these are people who say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. Yes, I go to church fairly regularly. Yes, I read the Bible. 60% of the evangelical survey respondents had some confusion about the Holy Spirit, believing that the Holy Spirit is a force, but is not a personal being. A force, but not a personal being. When you think about this, this makes a lot of sense. That our culture, that, that Christians would believe this, it makes a lot of sense. To be spiritual in our day and age is to have a vague notion of the transcendent, wherein we choose various spiritual practices and beliefs to customize our faith to order. So we blend up yoga, and we blend up earth worship, and whatever crystals are, and we call it our own. We wear our homemade spirituality like a badge. It becomes for us 
a virtue signal to the watching world. I am spiritual. And same thing is happening in Corinth. Remember, Corinth is this competitive, competitive status-obsessed city. It hosted the Isthmian Games, the second largest games in the Roman Empire. It was a place where if you were poor, you could come to Corinth and make a name for yourself. All the money in Rome was spoken for. Athens was a sleepy college town, but Corinth, you could go and, and make something of your life. It's this competitive, unbridled sort of upward mobility. And that competitive, status-obsessed spirit infiltrated the church. And so some were saying, I'm so spiritual, I'm so free, I can do whatever I want with my body. I can sleep with whoever I want. That's 1 Corinthians 6. And Paul, if you remember, said, no, you're not your own. You were bought with a price. Glorify God in your body. Some were saying in 1 Corinthians 7, I'm so spiritual, I don't need to get married. I don't need to have sex. And if you were truly spiritual like me, you wouldn't get married. You wouldn't have sex. You'd be an ascetic like I am. To which, again, Paul responds, no, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him into which God has called him. See, both Corinth and Vancouver want a spirituality, want a religion centered on them, on me, on I. A spirituality that elevates and distinguishes the person above others. But as we saw in 1 Corinthians 2 and 3, what makes someone spiritual is nothing more and nothing less than having the person of the Holy Spirit live inside of them. Having the person of the Holy Spirit form Christ in them. That is a spiritual person. That is what it means to be spiritual. Spiritual gifts are for spirit-filled people, which, to be clear, happens at the exact moment you became a Christian. We have to talk about this. Some of you come from a tradition and from a background that taught that there were two baptisms. One water baptism and another, a so-called baptism of the Holy Spirit, which happened after you've been saved or after your salvation. This second blessing or second baptism is, so it is taught, evidenced or seen or made known when people speak in tongues. Now, we don't have time to go in depth on this this morning, only to say a few things. One, if this is your, if this is your experience, or if this is your theology, I would love to talk with you following the gathering. I would love to buy you coffee this week. Let's hash it out. We don't have time to unpack all of it this morning. Let me say two things. One, we reject this teaching as being unbiblical and out of step with the church's historic teaching on the Spirit. Second thing, the irony of, of this second blessing theology, this second baptism theology the irony is that, as we'll see over the next few weeks, teaching two baptism leads to a two-tiered Christianity, where there are spiritual people who have received not only one, but, but two baptisms, and then there's the rest of us who've just got one baptism, maybe. It leads to a two-tiered, div divisive Christianity. Paul and Scripture are actively working against this kind of theology, actively commanding against it. The Holy Spirit is a person belonging to every Christian. He is not energy to be harnessed, a power to wield control. He sovereignly leads his church, giving gifts as he pleases and in the measure he pleases. So again, let's pause. If I can, I just want to speak to the fear that I know is in the room this morning. 
Maybe you've seen firsthand, like close up, where being led by the Spirit has taken a church, and it wasn't good. You've seen ugly and divisive things done under the pretense of being led by the Spirit, and you're understandably nervous. If that's you, please come with me to our third and final point, our our third pillar this morning. Our third pillar is this. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. The Spirit of God ultimately only ever leads his church to one place, the proclamation in word and deed that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is King. Verse 3 says this. Look at your Bibles. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul is not saying that an unbeliever, someone without the Spirit, is unable to string together the necessary vowels and consonants to form the sentence, Jesus is Lord. He's not saying that. He's saying the sign that the Spirit is at work, the the acid test, if you will, is the simple question, is Jesus, in the use of this gift, being exalted as Lord in both word and deed? Is Jesus being glorified? Is Jesus being lifted high? So let me then take this opportunity to remind us that the grace gifts that we've received by the Spirit are not about us. They're not about you. They're not about me. This is not a series and these are not chapters about answering some sort of existential identity crisis you're having. These are chapters about Jesus. About Him about his church being built up so people can see him, about his spirit giving and withholding gifts from us so that we would learn to trust Jesus in Jesus' church. It's about Jesus' power being on full display so that people who don't know Jesus might walk into our gatherings and say what? Man, what a gift he has. No! Or what a gift she has. No! What does Paul say? They'll walk into our gatherings in 1 Corinthians 14 and say, God is really among you. Jesus is being glorified here. Jesus is being lifted up here. It's about Jesus doing exactly what he wants in and through his church. It's about knowing Jesus' grace, about knowing Jesus' provision, about knowing Jesus' presence. And so hear me. As we embrace and, and lean into the spiritual gifts, as we grow into them as a church, the result should not be, in fact, must not be, that we end up at the destination of self-glorification and boasting. That would be to end up at the wrong place, a dangerous place, dare I say, an evil place. No, the church of Jesus around the world has one aim, to use her gifts to proclaim Jesus as king over all the earth until he returns, to proclaim the lordship of Christ over this city and over these people. Now, our destination doesn't change, but what might change, however, is how we get there. Our destination doesn't change. What might change is how we get there. I remember probably seven seven years ago now, I had left my first gig in ministry, my first ministry job, and my wife and I had the luxury of taking a road trip down to California. 
I had never been to California before. I'm an Ontario boy, promised land. Go Leafs, right, Steve? And I've never been to California before. And, and, and Maisie, my wife, uh, had friends down there, a family down there that uh, she knew who pastored at a church in, in Fresno. And when we got to Fresno, uh, we soon discovered, I think Maisie already knew this and she kept it from me, uh, that this church was quite excited about the gifts. Very, very excited about the gifts. Um, and I remember one day in particular, uh, we spent uh, an afternoon, a whole, a whole afternoon, driving around, uh, talking to people, all the while asking God for words or some sort of revelation in our ministry to them. And if you know me, you know that this whole thing, like being outside with other people, uh, being, you know, charismatic in this way, uh, going out on a limb, uh, makes me very, very uncomfortable. I'm not in my happy place in that place. In my study with my books, I'm very, very happy. That's very uncomfortable. And I can remember very clearly one of our last days with this family who had been very generous to us and kind to us, just blessed us. I, I asked the dad, I asked the pastor of this church, why, why do you do all of this? Why do you do all of this? You've seen all the ways that people abuse the gifts. You have a television. You've seen all the crazy things that people do on TV in the name of Jesus. Why even go down this road? Why even open this can of worms? And I can remember, he, he smiled at this naive young pastor. And in a very gracious and, and loving way, he said two things. He said first this. He said, because I believe, firstly, that the Bible commands us to pursue them. He was, of course, right. We'll hear Paul say in a few weeks' time, with the force of a command, don't miss that, with the force of a command, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. As a Bible reader, that made sense to me. But the second thing he said caught me off guard. He said, Jake, I, I honestly just think it makes ministry easier. I think it makes ministry easier. I've never forgotten that. In our mission to make missional disciples for the sake of the neighborhood, God has given us by his spirit gifts. He hasn't left us alone. He hasn't said, well, go figure it out. Find some tools. No. He's given us gifts in this mission to make replicating disciples for the sake of this neighborhood. He has not left us alone. In our fight to maintain the unity of the body in divisive and polarizing times, God has given us by his spirit gifts to remind us that we need each other. In three weeks' time, we'll hear that the church is a body. And just as a body needs a hand, so too do we need each person doing their part, each person contributing. And without them, we're actually worse off. Paul says, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Friends, the gifts are not opposed to human effort. The gifts don't give us permission to be lazy. Rather, spiritual gifts take our natural efforts, our natural efforts, and make them supernaturally powerful. And I don't know about you, and maybe it's just me, but I don't think that's true. I don't know about you, but I'm on the edge of my seat. As we say yes to the Spirit and His plans for us in the coming weeks, and I hope you'll join me.
Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are gracious to us, not leaving us alone in this mission you've given us, how to make disciples. We ask for that you would, by your Spirit, lead us. Lead us that Christ may be glorified in our midst, that Christ may be glorified in our neighborhood, that Christ may be glorified in our parenting and in our working and in every facet of our lives. Lord, I pray for those this morning who have let their gifts kind of come down to an ember, who have neglected them, Lord. I ask, Lord, that in the coming weeks you would, by your Spirit, see these gifts fanned into flame, that our church would be comprised of a body of people doing exactly what you've gifted them to do. Lord, I ask that you would guard us against covetousness, envy, as we look at other gifts, as we wonder why God didn't give us this or this or this. Jesus, would we be happy to play the role you have for us in your story, for your fame, and for the sake of this neighborhood? Pray this in your name. Amen. Hey everyone, this is Jake, lead pastor of Christ City Church, East Vancouver, and I want to let you know about a few things. First, if you're not a part of a local church, let me invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 2605 East Pender Street in East Vancouver for worship, word, and sacrament. Second, if you are new and you want to get connected, let me say welcome. Christ City Church, East Vancouver is a neighborhood church committed to making missional disciples for the sake of the neighborhood. If you want to be a part of or hear more, of what we believe God has called us to do in East Vancouver, please reach out to me at jake at christitychurch.ca.